Hi, everybody. This is Joanne with the Talks with Joe podcast. And today I have a very special guest. I know her as my yoga instructor, but I think she is so much more than that. She is a life coach. She is a mental health professional, um, uh, essential oil expert. So <laughs> Desiree, why don't you introduce yourself? I don't want to take all your fire away. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here with you, but it's so nice to be here with everybody as well. And I think that was a, a perfect description. I just always say, just I just do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love that so much. And then um, and it's so inspiring, you know, like, uh, you know, following you for a while and then seeing your story. So like, um, tell us about how your healing journey began. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, it's such a journey, such a journey. I would say it really, really started to begin about 15 years ago um, when I was about 23 and I actually had um, lost my mother to um, a drunk driver. And when that happened at 23, I was an only child with my mom and my dad. And my mom really supported me. Um, I was in college at the time. Um, I was working, but I was very, very supported by my mom. Mm-hmm. So that really just was the turning point, I think, in my life that really started to where I am now, the decisions that I made. And so losing my mom was, I was faced with a lot of decisions. I feel like it's that, that road, right? You can go left or right. And I'm thankful for the road that I, that I took because it could have been a lot of bad turns and, 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 uh, well, we all make mistakes. We all make different decisions. So, you know, they all, they all turn out to make you who you are. So Having that happen so early on, I think really just changed. It did. It changed the entire course of my life. So mm-hmm. since about 2004, I've been on this journey. Wow. That is so amazing. I mean, of course, not about your mom, but I feel like traumatic events sometimes have to happen for us to like kind of shift where we're going. Like otherwise, like if we were you know, following down the same path we would have been if that trauma never happened, we wouldn't be where we are now. So no matter how traumatic it was, or how sad it was, like, um, there's a level of gratitude we have to give to that experience. And, and I say that too, from someone who is very experienced in grief, um, very experienced in um, trauma. We all, we all are. We all have our own traumas. And it takes a lot of work to get to a space where I would never say, of course, I would want my, my mother's death to happen to me all mm-hmm. over again. But I can definitely sit here and say that I have a lot of gratitude towards what has happened from, from losing her. Yeah. And it takes a lot of people that hear that might, you know, at first be like, angry when they hear that they could be like i'll never get there or mm-hmm. you know it's it's different it takes a long time to get to this space and it's not a perfect space that i'm in yeah. but i could really firm and say there have been so many more blessings from it um because of it yeah um i agree uh i was watching like the cri- a crime show last night and then there's like a lot of like family of course is mad at this person's murder like it's so hard to forgive like even like watching that show and being in the family's position like I would be so angry so like 
I can see how hard it, it can be. So like, what is like the first step we can take when it comes to like those type of traumatic events? Because I was putting myself in the position of that family, you know, and I was just like, ah, I'm so mad. Like, how do I get out of this? But I know it does take time. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good question. So I think the first thing that I would say um, as the, uh, speaking from just my background and to help people understand anger a little bit better, is we have to remember that anger is a secondary emotion and a lot of us forget that or maybe you know because i'm i'm a mental health professional that's just something automatic that i know so i a lot of people don't realize that when we experience anger it really just means there are other emotions that are underneath that are really the root cause and so okay experiencing anger experiencing our feelings but what is beneath that anger is it's probably hurt sadness mm -hmm. lonely trail jealousy it could be you know a whole different array of, of of emotions so i would say um one of my very first things that i did i didn't know very much when that happened i was like i said 23 just really came to a huge shock and I, and I did three things um one of the things that i did was because my mother was killed by a drunk driver i reached out to a nonprofit organization uh, called mothers against drunk driving and i didn't know very much about them but i figured they could probably help so i i three things i did is i reached out for help i got in touch with that organization the other thing was that I knew I couldn't do it alone. So here's my second reach out for help is that I found myself a therapist so quick, so fast. Yeah. And the third thing that I did was also reaching out for help. But what it was for me is, was my spiritual connection was getting, I always say, getting right again with God, getting right with Jesus again. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> coming back to like, to that relationship. And I think that is really the, the root of, how we can walk through anger and forgiveness because um we can be rooted in a lot of different things but if in my opinion and at least for me if we're not spiritually grounded or rooted in something then we just kind of we can go everywhere we can float we can be angry we can we have all these array of emotions yeah. like grounded in that faith yeah um, it was a huge thing for me to work through my anger and to work through yeah emotions. Yeah. And I love how you said that you knew that you needed help. Like you couldn't do it alone. And that's like a lot of the, like most of the time people are not accepting of that. Like, no, I could handle this on my own. I could do this on my own. But accepting that you need help is like also like the very first step, like, you know, admitting to that. And that's the part of being vulnerable. And so many people are scared to be vulnerable. So like, you know, I always say vulnerability is a strength. Like, you know, that first step saying you just need help, like talking to a friend and then finding a therapist is so much strength. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I also love how you said your like connection to God, because um, I recently like discovered like, um, you know, I unraveled a whole can of worms when getting into spirituality. So I've been very like on this woo-woo perspective and everything so yeah i totally get that because i whenever i connect to source or god or whatever you call it i feel like i'm not alone so i totally get what you're saying there yeah yeah and i i, ha I love 
I love working Well, I love working with a lot of people, but especially people who are, who are starting that journey and maybe they were raised Catholic or maybe they were raised with a Jewish faith or it doesn't matter, but I love seeing people with whatever their background was. And then as the loving wise adult that they are exploring that with their mm -hmm. own, their own choice, not because they're forced, yeah. not because they have to. And what does that look like for them now? And how can they have that connection um, to their creator, to their maker, you know, whatever that connection is for them. And that's a whole, that's a whole other journey in itself. And that's yeah. <laughs> for those that don't know the name of my business, it's mind, body, soul living. So it's, it's one of the pillars in just creating these amazing lives that we're all trying to live. <laughs> yes, totally. And then, you know, speaking of like adulthood, so I know like a lot of trauma can stem from childhood. So like how can like our trauma from our childhoods reflect in our adulthoods now without us realizing it? It's, it's everything. It's the reason why we get pissed off at our husband because he didn't take the trash out. <laughs> things. And I tell this story in a lot of my workshops and I'll tell this quick story because it paints a picture of what happens with, with stuff that happened to us as a child and this, mm -hmm. and this generational healing and generational trauma. Yeah. Um, and it's my personal story of being, um, my parents divorced early on. So my mom was a single parent. And so it was just me and her. And I did the chores. I had to take the trash out. I, I just, I did, I did that. And we didn't have a, you know, a man in the house um, to, to do that. So that was my job. So as I got older, I hated taking out the trash. It was, smelly, <laughs> it was dirty. It was heavy. Yeah. It hated it. So I figured, you know, when I got married that it's my husband's job, but did I ever tell him that? Did I ever communicate that to him? No, I just assumed <laughs> it was his job. So what happened is trash is on Wednesday, come home on Tuesday night, pull into the garage and I would get pissed off if the trash was still there. <laughs> didn't take it out. But if the trash can was gone, I was like in the best mood. I would be like, hi, honey, how are you? <laughs> so it really dictated my mood. But what it was really actually doing is it was triggering my trauma, the trash. Mm -hmm. Because I hated doing the trash. It's something that I assumed that was a man's role just because of the way I was raised and single parent and all that. But mm -hmm. also it triggered that my mom was no longer here with me. So it mm -hmm. triggered all these different things. And that again is a, I think a perfect example of what I experienced, which really wasn't traumatic per se as a child, but because of it and the things that happened along the course of life, it triggered me as an adult. So imagine something that actually is traumatic in childhood, mm -hmm. like, maybe a divorce, a loss of a pet, even parents fighting and arguing. I have a lot of clients or I've had a few clients say, you know, I, I've been really lucky. I've been really blessed. I've had a great childhood. But as we started to dig a little bit deeper, it was for sure they had a great childhood, but their parents argued a lot in front of them. And that really affected them. Trauma is trauma, period. No matter if it's a parent passing or a pet passing, trauma is trauma. And what all happens as a young child really affects the course of the rest of our life and how we process that later on. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> now it's like got like so ever since I started my healing journey I started thinking about like all the stuff from my childhood and then like it's the way I show up in my relationships like okay why do I feel so abandoned all the time and then why do like I get mad for this like little thing but don't get me wrong I love my parents to death but it's just like those little yeah. things that I kind of recognize that okay I did not get that as a kid so that's why I'm like searching for that kind of type of validation now yeah. and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I kind of like recognize, ah, I'm like, I'm so affected by my parents. I don't even realize it. <laughs> so I, as love, as I start thinking about, you know, I love that you brought that up because I always tell my clients, it's never about blaming your parents at all. Yeah. Our parents or our guardians did the best they could with the tools they had at the time. And now as adults, as loving, wise adults, we have the choice to go back and reparent ourselves, the parts of us that were perhaps emotionally neglected, or again, not that maybe our parents didn't have the right tools. You know, there are lots of different circumstances, but in your case, for example, they, they were doing the best they could. So it's never about blaming our parents, our grandparents, mm -hmm. our siblings, but it's putting the responsibility back on us as adults to go back and reparent ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so you mentioned like generational trauma. So can you get into a, like a little bit more on that? So like, maybe is it like trauma, like passed down from our parents, passed down from our grandparents? Yeah. Um, so I think we all realize from our parents, we might get some futures like, oh, you know, my eyes, my nose looks just like my dad's or, you know, I got my mom's hair, right? So we get these genetic features that we can see in ourselves, and that mm -hmm. happens as well as emotional things. Emotional genetics can get passed on from the next. There have been some research studies. Um, one of the one of the a couple prevalent ones that I just come to mind is one that was done from women that were pregnant during 9/11 that experienced or were involved in some part of 9/11 followed those children throughout and finding that a majority um, of, and I'm not quoting per se the study, but in summarizing it is that those children that were in utero during 9-11 where their mother experienced some type of trauma had actually carried PTSD and depression and anxiety through most of their life, through their adult life. You go back to another prevalent, the Holocaust, same thing. We see families that have really have carried on either depression or anxiety or PTSD, again, because of these traumatic events that came from one generation to the next. Mm -hmm. I have a, a client who is a young girl in my therapeutic side, and she is very keen. She's a, she's a, she's a kid, essentially. And she talks about She's never been to therapy before. She's she's just working with a therapist. And she goes, you know, I really feel like I I got something passed on from, from a grandparent. Cause my, you know, this relative of mine is was always really angry. And she's so smart because she's catching on to like how genetics um, can affect us. And it's very fascinating because we don't think of this, how we can get something passed on. We think we can think no problem, our hair or our skin because we can see it yeah but when we talk about these the epigenetics of what's happening um emotionally we can absolutely get things passed on to us and that's why it goes back to what i was just saying earlier 
as adults, it's up to us to then go and reparent these parts of us that mm-hmm. maybe we're realizing our life was pretty good or, or per se was great, but for some reason, for no reason that you can't discover, you've always been very anxious or you've always yeah. been slightly depressed and can't really place why. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's what I noticed a lot too, because like I noticed that my parents are very paranoid. They would get worried a lot like, oh no, do not go out like at this time. Do not, you know, walk over there because they watch so much of the news and makes them so anxious. So like it kind of brings it on to me. So whenever I'm about to go somewhere, like in like my parents are in the back of my mind, you know, <laughs> like just like those their little voices in my head telling me like, oh, be careful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you, so, and then you mentioned the Holocaust too, because I actually read that recently, like, um, how the descendants of like Holocaust survivors have a higher tendency to have like, they're more prone to depression, anxiety, um, because of their, um, ancestors experience. So this kind of reminds me of ancestral healing. I wonder if you know anything about that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really in the, in the sense of we just have different terminology from it. We can call it ancestral healing. We can call it generational healing. Mm-hmm. Um, another term for generational trauma, biblically, is generational sin. So it just has different names, but it's all essentially the same. That We're talking about the same thing here. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, also recently, I discovered that there's like a lot of... Um, my parents in me like even like not the emotional parts but like the stuff that I do like let's say my dad is very adventurous he likes to go out there and have fun but versus my mom oh she likes to be very girly so like I feel I see both parts of my parents in me and that is just like so fascinating to me because like I always thought like oh no I'm so different from them I'm not them at all but now I kind of recognize it and I said so much gratitude because they made me who I am and then um even with like, let's say like my ancestors, like I try to send gratitude. Like I don't really have a relationship with my ancestors yet, but I'm trying to like develop a relationship where, okay, like thank you for bringing me to where I am now because without them, without that lineage, I wouldn't be here right now doing what I do, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if you've heard this one before or our listeners have heard this and I I do really well with kind of like visuals or ideas, but just think about it for a moment that when your um, grandmother, when our grandmothers were, um, were pregnant, we were essentially eggs within our mother. So that, if that gives you that, like, woo, that view of how that, that, generational trauma can maybe be passed down. Think about it. Think about maybe the stress that a grandparent went through um, when she was pregnant and that affects in turn the grandchild. So the grandchild was just essentially an egg within the mother. So that is kind of mind blowing too. Yeah. Like we somehow we already existed mm-hmm. while when we weren't even born yet. <laughs> Yeah, we weren't even a thought, a blip, or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So crazy. And then, um, so I know with like uh, generational trauma, like healing it, like I, you said, reparent yourselves. And then there's a lot of aspects that I realize not just emotions, it's like our reaction to everyday life. Like, let's say money, our relationship to money because of um, mm-hmm. our family or 
dealing with emotions is huge because like in Asian families, we're taught to like suppress it, even if they don't really explicitly sure. say it. It's like, okay, don't, you know, why are you crying? Don't cry. <laughs> and then right. our um, relationships too. So how do we go about like healing, not just the emotions, but the um, reaction to these type of different things? That- yeah. If somebody is truly, truly interested in wanting to do this work, know that it is a lot of work. It's messy. <laughs> it's ugly, but it's the, it's the, one of the best things that you will ever do for yourself. So I, I want to say that before, and it's going to look different for every single person. Um, there is no one route to healing. And I think that was for a long time, the people who were um, brave enough to do therapy and seek therapy was like, this is it. This is, I'm going to heal. I'm in therapy. I'm good. That is far from it. There is. Yeah. I, always, <laughs> I, always, I, I totally know what you mean. <laughs> you get it. You get it. You know, a lot of people are like, I'm in therapy or I see a therapist. They're going to fix me or what, whatever ideas we have. And I tell my therapeutic clients all the time, we're not even doing the work. This is just 50 minutes right here, maybe once a week or every other week. You got to go do the work all throughout the week. And that's <laughs> work. Yeah. <laughs> work right there. So there isn't one path, but just to kind of name uh, things that come to mind when it comes to healing and doing all these things is, of course, therapy. Mm-hmm. Working with a well-qualified coach. Um, I can speak from that uh, because I do coaching as well, but I have a, you know, a mental health background. I'm a pre-licensed marriage and family therapist. And I think that's where it gets a little scary out there is a lot of coaches out there that may not be um, qualified in a sense. Um, but working with a coach is great, is another great way. Um, also doing things like somatic healing, maybe like yoga, um, acupuncture, reiki. <laughs> sound healing, prayer. Um, I mean, the list just kind of goes on. I feel like it's going to be different for sound healing. It'll be different for different people. And you're going to be ready. You're not, may not be ready for certain things until a certain time. Mm-hmm. So the path may look and feel different from everybody else. Don't feel like you have to compare, but explore whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, if you're willing to give therapy a try, do it. If you're mm-hmm. thinking, you know what, I'm not about therapy, but I could do a coach because that's a little bit more less intimidating. Find a coach that you feel comfortable with, or mm-hmm. maybe you just want to work your body and you want to do some yoga, or maybe you're just like, you know what, I want to go back to church again, or whatever that is. There are so many paths to healing, but all of those will get you started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like, okay. When I first started therapy, like, oh my gosh, I need help because I was just crying my eyes out every day. And when I went to therapy, I remember crying my eyes out driving on my way to therapy and then my therapist you know kelly and <laughs> kelly's like oh my gosh like let's just forget all this paperwork i need to help you right now and then i was like okay she's gonna fix me but i still cried like after that session and then i think i remember telling she's like i'm going to help you but it's up to you <laughs> to like really do the work and then um i think even though that first session was just very hard i was just crying my eyes out i like made decisions like within like a couple of weeks, like, okay, I think I need to start doing yoga. So I started working out every single morning. And then eventually I just decided like, okay, what is going to make Joanne feel better today? Like is it doing a yoga class? Is it meditating? Is it eating a terrible meal, <laughs> eating ice cream? Like just like those little small things that I know will make me feel better. And I do that thing. 
hundred percent. So yeah. good. I'm so glad you shared that part of your journey because that is all truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so messy. It is all over the place. <laughs> Um, so I know like another huge part of your teaching is like teaching others to live authentically. So like with everyone, I know there's like some people who are like, even if they don't realize it, like they're just scared to just show who they are and not be true to themselves. Like maybe they're people pleasers or, and then they just, you know, they don't see, they don't try to please themselves. They try to please others first. So like, what kind of like advice do you have for those people? Yeah. Yeah. I first want to connect the dots for everybody. Um, and you know, Joe didn't just switch topics right away. Like everyone that's listening, like you might be thinking of generational healing and living authentically, like two different topics and they're not, they are so connected. Mm -hmm. So in order for us to truly live authentically and live an authentic life, we have to heal the trauma from from the generations for before us. So if we are doing the work, you know, all the things we mentioned, the reparenting, all this stuff, we're going to start to notice patterns and we're going to start to notice what is mine and what was what wasn't mine. And I'll give this another example. I love just easy to understand examples of mm -hmm. values. So when we think of values, there are not really any bad values like loyalty, honesty, um, friendship, love, like all values are great in a sense. And we receive values and we're influenced by the people around us who raised us, who are our parents, mm -hmm. even our coworkers. And so what happens is, is we, you know, go along our adult life and then we realize we have all these amazing values, but they maybe weren't ours or they're not really ours. So it's about finding out what do we personally value, not what our parents value, Again, they can value honesty, and I'm not saying honesty is a bad thing, but maybe honesty is not a priority. Maybe friends and family is a value that I really serve. It serves me at my core. So it's about authentically living is really about finding out, healing that generational trauma. And when you do that, you truly know like what serves you as an individual. And when you start to build that up, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that people pleasing goes away because that it all takes a lot of work and it's a lifelong journey. But what I see a lot about, for example, since we're on that people pleasing is a lot of people that maybe are people pleasers dealt with a lot of childhood trauma. Perhaps a parent was abusive. Perhaps there was um, a mental illness in the house or an, uh, an addiction of some sort. And so the, the child who was maybe anxious about, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if my dad's going to come home and drink. I don't know what kind of mood my mom's going to be in. They live in this fear of anxiousness and that becomes the normal for the child. The child grows up to be the adult. The adult is now there. Doesn't want, they want, they don't want the same. They're in, they're living in that 10 year old body. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to get mad at me or I wonder how they're going to feel. And we're, applying that to everything in our day-to-day -day life from coworkers to our partners, to our friendships. And so realizing that that people pleasing part of us is literally a part maybe that we experienced as that 10 year old or that six year old. 
So it gets kind of like, I don't want to like lose people here, but really authentically living is about healing that trauma from childhood, from beyond and beyond and beyond. And when we start to shed those layers and peel things off, we go from what I call the conditioned self or not me, but the conditioned self and the authentic self. Mm -hmm. Most of us live primarily in conditioned self. So it's about how to make the conditioned self usually is like this screaming, all those thoughts, you're not good enough, the imposter syndrome, um, you got to please that person, you're not good enough, you're you're fat or whatever, all these ugly things, right? Mm -hmm. And the authentic self is when we get those small moments, maybe when we drink our cup of tea in the morning or we stretch and do yoga and we're like, I can do anything and we're inspired and we have these goals. It's to go from here to here. It's to quiet this down so that we can hear authentic self speak to us more easily and hear those whispers. Yeah. I love how you said shedding layers because like healing, that's all healing is like shedding so many layers from like our childhood trauma. Like let's take this off. Let's take these weight off my shoulders. (laughs) Yeah. Because, um, yeah, uh, I definitely did that over the years, like the last two years anyways, where like I kind of like recognize what is mine and what is not because growing up, I always had like that expectation from my family. Okay, Joanne is going to get good grades in school. She's going to go to college and get a degree, get a job at a nine to five job at a corporate <laughs> um, company. <laughs> and then I guess that idea they put that idea in my head that that is what success looks like, you know? And then now that I'm here, I'm just like, but I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like that is what success looks like to me. So I kind of have to like re like rethink that, like, okay, what does success looks like, look like to Joe? Like, and then is, am I abandoning myself? Well, I do this thing. And that's why that's how this podcast was born. Because like, okay, I think this is more true to me, I'm just gonna get rid of everything that my family has ever told me what success looks like and find my own definition Mm -hmm. of success. So good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's another topic of like, feeling stuck. So how can people get unstuck in a situation they are in? Let's say they are like stuck in that mentality because that's what their parents ingrained to them. This is what success looks like. So this is what you have to do. So how do they get unstuck from that? Yeah. Oh, that's so good too. Cause I feel like I've been talking to a lot of people, not just because of the time of year, but what it is, is that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we're like, how do I get unstuck? I feel like I have all these things I want to accomplish. I know I want to do these things. Like I, you know, this is sounding like you, like how how do I get to the next step? And I really feel it's just about being vulnerable to ask for help and whatever that looks like. And this gets attached. I see this all the time. If you get vulnerable to ask for help, what I see people get stuck in is the investment they need to make in themselves and not just money wise, but time wise. Okay. The minute they find out maybe how much therapy is or coaching is or how much a Reiki session is, they back out, they block away. And that is tied to what you mentioned a few moments ago, the money blocks, the money things that are associated to that. So that's part of the trauma. So I think that's the biggest hurdle and why people get stuck is it's a bunch of these layers that you're working on that you don't have the tools yet to manage all that. But really what it comes to and what stops them from moving forward 
is these blocks that they have for investing in themselves. Essentially, it, it really isn't about the money. It's about the self-worth. They don't feel worthy enough to invest. I'm just throwing out a number, $5,000, $2,000, whatever that looks like. But I'll speak to moms or parents for a moment. Um, you know, if, if, if a child comes or so, maybe your kid's getting ready for college or something and, and mom, I really want to, dad, I really want to do this, this, this program. It's going to help me get into college. It's six months and it's $5,000. Most of the parents that I, not, not all I know, but most parents are be like, you know what, honey, we're going to make it happen. We'll figure out a way Mm -hmm. because I love you and you, you're, you're going to do this. But when it comes to ourself, $5,000 $5,000 to invest in making us, helping us feel better. Oh no, 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 <laughs> can't do that. No, especially when you're going to be held accountable, especially when you know you're going to have to go through um, awkward feelings. So that is, I would say my piece of advice is be cautious. Okay. If you're getting to that step where you want to ask for help, just make the jump. You're going to have to invest in yourself. And what it comes to is your self-worth. So Mm -hmm. as a stranger that doesn't know you, I know that you are worth that investment of your time and your money Mm -hmm. to heal because it's the best investment you will ever make into yourself. Yeah. And then this kind of reminds me like, oh, people are willing to pay like $100 per month for the gym, but refuse to like see some kind of therapist or refuse to do like the actual emotional healing work. And then like, you know, they're so willing to do it to their physical body just because like, I don't know, maybe they're trying to impress someone or they try to, they, they do it for themselves because that is their, you know, their uh, ritual, their routine that makes them feel better. But, you know, not saying it's a bad thing, but you know, it all kind of works together. You're going to have to have both the exercise for your body and the exercise for your mind. Mm-hmm. It's all tied together. We, we, we wonder why we struggle is because we're missing a component. Again, mind, body, soul. It's all connected. You can be physically in your body. Maybe even you are going to therapy, but if you're missing that soul component, there's going to be something missing and vice versa. Maybe you're spiritually connected and you're mindfully connected, but you're not moving your body. It's, it's always missing a piece. You have to tie those together really to, to go yeah. into healing. Yeah. What I learned recently is that the mind, body, and soul, like they're the relationship within you. So like you have to have the mind has to be on the same page as the body. And then it also has to be in the same stage as the spirit. So like I had like this download recently where like um, my body was there and it felt like my mind and spirit were having a conversation with each other. And there, I think the spirit was telling my mind, if you really love her, if you really like, wouldn't you want her to accomplish everything she ever wants in this life? And then, and when you want to, and then this is your body, you have to take care of her, you have to um, give it the right foods, like work it out and stuff. And then I started like crying. I'm just like, where is this coming from? Like, ah, (laughs) so that's why, like, I think since that day, I'm starting to make like gradual life changes. Like, okay, I cannot just sit around every day. Like, I know we're supposed to be staying at home right now, but I try to work out like at least maybe mm-hmm. for 20 minutes that's it yes. ride my bike or something because I think I'm a lot in my um I'm in my mind a lot that's what I re- realized too so I need to like have a balance of all three <laughs> yeah yeah and I'll just throw this out there for those of you that are thinking about yoga or not sure about yoga I am someone who's ADHD, so I have uh, seven different learning disabilities, and yoga, again, I'm not crediting yoga for everything, but yoga, 
if I can get to a place to do yoga to calm that mind, to, it's the one space besides prayer and meditation that I've trained myself to really be able to quiet, to hear things. And so mm-hmm. I just want to throw that in because a lot of people are like, I'm wondering about yoga. I'm curious about yoga. Maybe people are new to this healing journey. Um, yoga is such a great place to start and oh, again, yeah. I can do it. I think anybody could. <laughs> yeah, I remember my first time doing yin yoga. Like I started crying. I'm just like, what the heck? Is I think it's something in my like <laughs> sacral chakra or something. It was like this was I forgot what um posture it was, but yeah, like yin yoga does that to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, You're releasing that. a lot. Yeah, I'm actually gonna try to get into a yin yoga class today. So oh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've been doing it on YouTube just because like I, I choose, just choose to stay at home, but <laughs> I miss studios so much. I like, I miss the community, like being around so many people, you know, I just, I don't know. I just like the vibe yeah. of a studio versus just me at home. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and since we're talking about yoga, um, are you able to explain the significance of Savasana? Um, because I, I feel like it's very, in a very, like the death um, pose is very important to the yoga practice is where you start to get a lot of information and you're really in tune with yourself at that time. So if you could yeah. elaborate on that. Yeah. So I don't even think I mentioned, but um, for those listening, I'm also a certified yoga instructor. So if um, again, you're like wondering what is Savasana, Savasana is the very, very last pose that we normally do in yoga class. And it's literally just lying on your back. Maybe some of you sleep like you're lying on uh, lying on the back. So um, it has so much significance. But this is my point of view and my take on it is it's very hard to be still, period. And again, I speak from someone who has a very hard time being still. And after we do the work, the work as in the movement, the yin yoga, maybe it's power yoga, whatever yoga practice that you happen to be doing, you get to this space where you finally get to be still and you could have all sorts of things happen in Savasana. You could have, you can have a conversation with God. You can literally have a quiet moment, have a quiet space. Or you can literally be just almost on a verge of conscious and unconscious. Like you're almost maybe taking a nap and you're just enjoying having peace and quiet. You can get ideas. You can, uh, there are so many things that happen, but the significance is it, to me is that we rarely ever stop for five minutes in quiet. When do we ever do that? Mm-hmm. We don't. We yeah. just don't do that. So in my opinion, the significance in Savasana, and I really keep it simplistic. I don't go too much into like yoga language and all that kind of stuff is just because we go, go, go. It's quieting the mind, quieting the body so that we can receive these ideas, thoughts, prayers, downloads, whatever they are, whatever they look like, whatever they feel like to you. And you can physically feel, even in stillness, things happening. And that's the best way I can even describe it. (laughs) Just things are happening as you're still. You notice that your body is shedding a layer. You feel like your muscles are softening. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just one of the best experiences. Savasana is literally why we come to yoga. Like, yes, yes. Savasana. <laughs> yes. But for those of you that are new, don't ever leave a class during Savasana. You're no. Yourself, <laughs> treating yourself 
even if you're at, at home too, you're cheating yourself. And you're also, in my opinion, you know, disrespecting the, the people around you and your, yourself in a sense, mm-hmm. if you decide to not give yourself that time, you just really cheated yourself. Oh yeah. And then plus like during Savasana, like my mind relaxes too, like in addition to my body. So like everything just like, I really fall into myself, like, uh, and then I kind of, at the time, during that time, I also give gratitude for my practice today. Like, yeah. thank you for allowing me to um, have this practice today. Thank you for allowing me to heal during this journey. And then I just like, just send gratitude for the practice. And that's the time I do it. Mm-hmm. And then I st- I will sometimes would get messages. Sometimes I don't, but other, like, no, regardless, I'm just grateful for that practice. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone makes it their own. I always end my practice in prayer. Um, what, what I, I usually make my way from my back on to just seated and I just usually end in, in prayer. So it looks and it can look and feel different to everyone. And I love, I love, um, I, I think of it as moving meditation. That's another term that, you know, yoga is as well. And that some, I'm literally the best way to explain it is I'm really not thinking about too much. I'm just in the pose, I'm in the posture. And if I do think about something, it's a quick prayer. It's a moment where I'm speaking to God. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. this this conversation that kind of happens. Oh, I want to thank you for that actually. Or I'm not sure about this decision or it it just could look like so many different conversations and then quiet for a moment. And then Mm -hmm. in that sasana is where I kind of come back to maybe that thought or that prayer that I was giving. Yeah. I find that during yoga, it's hard for me to even think about anything going on because I'm too busy doing this like (laughs) hard pose and then having to like, especially in yin, you have to having to hold it for like maybe five minutes at a time. Like there's nothing else you could possibly think of in that moment. No, yeah. You're just breathing and trying to, yeah, trying to still breathe. Yeah. (laughs) I promise you guys that are listening, yin yoga is the best. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm biased, I know, but that's my favorite. There's hundreds of styles of yoga, but if you can work your way to yin, it's one of the best things you can do for yourself. Yeah. And then like, you're getting more flexible too, while you're doing it. Like, and then when they say just let go, like really your body's letting go, you're letting go of every thought of your mind. It's, it's so powerful. Like I love yoga so much. (laughs) And, um, so do you have any last message to the audience before we close? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I just am really encouraging you all to either start or continue your healing journey, whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like. Um, if I, I am based in Las Vegas, but if you are in any desire feeling called to reach out or maybe you're curious in what it looks like to work with me. Um, in a coaching perspective, or even I'm pretty um, solidly booked in my therapeutic caseload. But um, if you're curious or have any questions or need any referrals, like I'm, I'm here. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram. Um, I have an amazing program that I'm starting um, in the new year. So if you are listening and you're like, I do, I want to start something. I'm doing um, a five-week group coaching program that's going to be amazing and it's all about authentically living staying true to you so kind of right in line with all the things that we've been talking about today so yeah oh wow and um i'm going to link all your information in the show notes so people can find you easily so they can work with you and desiree i am so grateful for you like you are such an amazing light every time i see you you're just like you know so happy and 
um, so ready to talk, so ready to help. And I appreciate your light, your aura so much. And I am grateful for everything that you're doing for as so everyone in Las Vegas, all the women. And yeah, thank you so much. And beyond, same with you. I'm so excited uh, that you're doing this and that you're putting yourself out there and also being authentic and taking this journey and you're going to be changing and you already are changing so many lives by starting this podcast. So kudos uh, to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yes, thank you for being on the show. And guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. And um, feel free to reach out to me or Desiree if you have any questions. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.